Well, as always, church, it's good to be with you. If you're visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm the downtown AM campus pastor, and we're preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. We're glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go and open up to John chapter 6. To John chapter 6. We'll be there in just a little bit. So today is the start of a brand new sermon series for us as a church. It's a brand new sermon series for us as a church. Over the next five weeks, we'll be in this sermon series. If you're new and you're visiting, typically what we do is we walk through books of the Bible one at a time. And so we're currently in Exodus, and we'll get back into that after this series. But the series we're going to be in for the next five weeks is called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Because when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, he did all sorts of incredible things. He healed people. He taught people. He was merciful to people. He was compassionate to people. He did all those things, and and he taught really difficult things. And he said really hard things to people that are hard to hear and hard to obey. So the heart of this series is for us to say, we want to make sure that as a people, as a church, we have a clear, accurate, and right picture of who Jesus is. Because as the church, we are a a people that are very different from one another. One of the most beautiful things about the church is how diverse it can be. I mean, in this room, we have people who are different from one another in all sorts of ways. We have people in here who have had great experience with the church and terrible experiences with the church. We're people who have different income levels and live in different neighborhoods. We're people of different ethnicities and different cultures. We're people of different temperaments and personalities and education and expectations as to what life should be like. We are a people with all sorts of differences. And the thing that trumps all those things, the thing that overcomes all of those differences is the one thing we have in common as we believe the same things about Jesus. The one thing we all have in common is not socioeconomic status, not your family background, but we have a common faith, a common love, a common trust in Jesus. He is what makes this church unique. He is what makes any church unique. We as a people gather around to follow him. And that's what we're about as a church. I mean, everything we do in this city, everything we do around the world is not about people joining the Austin Stone. It's about people coming alongside of us and saying, and us helping them worship this king and trust in this Jesus along with us. It's not about this church. It's about the Jesus we gather and rally around. And so if the church, as diverse as she is, if what we gather around is Jesus, then it's paramount, right, that we understand who he is. We have to make sure that we have the true Jesus in the middle of us and not some fabrication of him. We have to make sure we have the true Jesus and not some myth we've made up. We have to make sure we know who he is and what he taught and what he did and what he expects of you today. And one of the most fundamental realities that you'll learn about Jesus as you read the Gospels in this book and the this series will serve to highlight is this, that Jesus is relentless. He's relentless. When you read the Gospels, it's undeniable that he is not at all interested in being one of many loves in your life. He's not at all interested in being one of many important things in your life. He doesn't just want to be this nice teacher guy that you go to for wisdom when you have a really difficult decision to make. No, what you find Jesus doing in the Gospels is him saying really hard things to people, really offensive things to people because he's telling them, 
I have to be your supreme allegiance. I have to be your supreme affections. He doesn't want any rivals. He wants nothing off limits. Nothing off limits. He's relentless. And so he'll challenge you in the areas and the things you cherish most. He'll challenge you in the areas where you're most frail and weak. And he'll challenge you where you refuse to do what he says. He's not interested in being one of many things in your life. He's only interested in being the supreme allegiance and affection of your life. And he does this. He does this because he loves you. That's why he does it. He does it because that he loves you. Because he knows if he gave you anything less than himself, he'd be holding out on you. Like he knows if he gave you anything less, any gift in all creation other than himself, as your supreme trust, your supreme treasure, he would be holding out on you. Why? Because he knows that nothing is like him. He knows that there's nothing more satisfying than knowing him. That's why he consistently challenges and presses us so we can be set free to follow him. So we can be set free to actually have this Jesus who is better than all of creation. And so our first saying, our first saying that we're going to look at in this series is hard sayings of Jesus is eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now you hear that, you're like, that's a weird thing to say. It's a bizarre phrase. But when you look at the text, here's what we're going to find that Jesus is saying through this saying. Here's what Jesus is communicating through this saying. He's telling people, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and he's communicating, you have to love me more than the gifts that I give. Now, when it comes to following Jesus, the question I want you to answer today, I want you to walk out knowing is, do you follow Jesus for Jesus, or do you follow Jesus because of the gifts that he gives you? Or do you follow Jesus because of the gifts that he gives you? So in John 6, what you find, the, the, the setting before we, re, we read the text, is Jesus in John 6 has thousands and thousands of followers. He has the 12 disciples, but he has thousands and thousands of people following him. Why? Because they had seen him heal the sick, so they're following him around. And as they're following Jesus around, they start to get hungry, and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to feed you. You've heard the story before, probably. He takes five loaves of bread two fish, and feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people from them. So the people, the crowds who are gathering around him, they see this miracle, they experience it, their bellies are full, and they see Jesus as somebody special. Like they see Jesus as somebody who's spectacular. They even go as, as far to say that he is a prophet from God. Look at verse 13, John six thirteen. It says, so they gathered them up, the leftovers, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus is able to create so much food that after thousands and thousands of people have their bellies full, there's 12 baskets left over. And the people, when they see this, what's the response? He's a prophet. When they see this, they're so zealous for him, they think, we need to make him king. That's why Jesus leaves. Jesus leaves because they want to make him king. And he did come to be the king, but not in the way that they imagined. But what you see later on in John 6 is after this, Jesus leaves, but what do they do? They keep looking for him. They keep looking for him. They say, where did he go? 
They, they hear that he went across the lake, so they get in their boats and they go across the lake. And when you read this story, it looks like, what an incredible story. It looks like all these new thousands of followers of Jesus, praise God, they're new believers, we should, we should rejoice. But when they finally get to Jesus and they begin to talk to this Jesus who fed them, he turns out to be very different than they imagined him to be. When they finally get to Jesus, he turns out to be very different than they imagined him to be. See, when they finally find Jesus, here's what Jesus says. He tells them right off the bat, you're only after me because I fed you. Jesus, we're here. He's like, you're only here because you want me to feed you again. And he tells them, listen, it's not about the bread. I didn't feed you just to feed you. I fed you so you would look to me for real, true, eternal spiritual food. It's not about the bread. And oddly enough, the crowds go, okay, not about the bread. You're the bread. I think I get it. I'll believe if you feed me again. That's what they say. Okay, interesting insight, Jesus. I'll believe it if you give me some more bread. And Jesus tells them again, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. The bread is a metaphor. The bread is a picture. He's saying, in the way that you'll die without food is the way you'll die without me. He says, the bread in this life and all of creation, all it can do is sustain you for a little while. Then you need to be fed again. He's saying, I am this bread that sustains you for eternal life. He's telling them they're looking for the wrong bread. He says, I have eternal life because I'm from God. That's when he says this. When he says, I'm from God, is when the crowds begin to show who look like these amazing believers, he's a prophet, he's our king, and all of a sudden they begin to grumble about his statement. Look at verse 41. Verse 41. So the, Jew, the, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They grumble because Jesus is claiming something ludicrous to them. He says, I'm from heaven, and they say, I know your mom and dad. I know where you're from. You're not from heaven. And all of a sudden, this Jesus, who was amazing, is now not looking so great in their eyes. You want to know why, what's really going on here? The reason they're saying that is because they know what he's saying. The reason they're saying, we know where you're from, because when Jesus says, I'm from heaven down to you, he's placing himself over them in authority. He's saying, you're from here, I'm from heaven. I have authority that you don't have. When he says that, he's saying, I'm in front of you in importance and understanding who God is. And all of a sudden, this Jesus, who they wanted to to be praised, is now this Jesus they want to stop. As soon as Jesus becomes something they don't want him to be, he's not praiseworthy anymore. He needs to be stopped now. So they grumble, and then like only Jesus can, he keeps pressing the issue. He keeps pressing the issue. He keeps pressing them and saying, don't look for the bread. I'm telling you, you can get the bread and still die. I'm here to give you eternal life. But they're not interested. They don't want to listen. They don't want to follow. They don't want to believe until he meets their demands. Jesus, give us what we want or we'll never believe in you. And so Jesus then says the same thing again, but then he says it in offensive terms so that they'll be offended. Jesus says something so that they will be offended. Look at verse 51, John 6, 51. Jesus is speaking. He says, 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As a living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus speaks to them. He takes this metaphor. So important to remember, all throughout John 6, he's using this metaphor of being the bread of life. And what he does, he extends the metaphor so far in saying, the way you would eat bread is the way you need to eat me. He's saying the way that you ate the bread and you're desiring after, after the bread is the way you should desire after me. He's not being literal. He's not being literal here. He's not advocating for some form of eating his flesh, some form of cannibalism and that sort of way. He's not advocating for that. It's a metaphor he's been using the entire time in John 6. The metaphor he's saying is it's not about the bread. It needs to be about me. The way you're wanting to depend on this food for your very life, for your sustenance, for your energy, for your well-being is the way you need to depend on me for spiritual food, for spiritual drink, and eternal life. That's what he's telling them. It's a metaphor that he's using. And secondly, we know it's a metaphor because he's using this imagery so that he'll upset them. I don't know if you've thought about Jesus doing this before, but Jesus is saying something so that they will be offended. Because for these Jewish people, they knew what the Old Testament ceremonial law said. They knew that if they were to eat something clean, all the blood had to be out of it. It's one of the laws in the Old Testament. Before they ate anything, all the blood had to be drained out, all the blood had to be cooked out before they ate the flesh of any animal. And so what we hear as, that sounds like a bizarre phrase, eat my flesh, drink my blood, they heard it as deplorable and disgusting. They heard it as Jesus is offensive, his words are harsh. And what he's doing, he's saying, even when I offend you, you need to trust me. Even when I say things that you think are deplorable, that you're at first glance you think there's no way that's true, he says, you need to trust me. He's saying it needs to be about me, not the gifts that I give. He's saying if it comes down to it, if you had to choose between me or the things that I give, you have to choose me. The crowds hear this. They've had enough. Verse 60. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then later on, a couple verses later, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Just like that. He has thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It looks like the kingdom of God is coming on the earth, and just like that, everybody's gone but the 12. Just like that, I mean, imagine thousands and thousands of people just like that walking away from him. He could have kept performing miracles. If he wanted them to stay, 
he could have kept performing miracles. He could have kept feeding them bread. But the thing is, he didn't come to be whatever they wanted him to be. He didn't come to be whatever you wanted him to be. He came to be himself and to bring you back to God. That's why he came. Jesus did not come to follow us and trust our words. He came so you would follow him and trust his words. That's why he came. And he's so serious about this. He's so confident in who he is. You can see it in the way how he addresses his disciples. All the crowds leave. And look at how he talks to his disciples. Verse 67. It says, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Everyone's gone. I mean, imagine the disciples. They're still sitting there. They can still see the thousands of people walking away. Right? They can see their backs walking that way. They can see them. And Jesus does not beg them to stay. When I was studying this this week, that, it really resonated in a thought, Jesus is different than I imagine him to be sometimes because I would kind of think that if it was me, I'd say, hey guys, don't worry, I'll figure it out. I've got a good sermon for next week, they're all going to come back. Don't worry. Jesus doesn't beg. Jesus doesn't even try to persuade. Jesus doesn't apologize for being offensive. He doesn't say, yeah, guys, I was a little over the top. I'm sorry. He says, you want to leave too? He looks at his disciples and goes, did they go? You want to go? This Jesus, he shows mercy and kindness like no other. And he speaks with authority and truth like no other. I I don't know a man like this. Not at all dissuaded from what he's doing. Not at all nervous that everyone's gone. You want to go too? He knows who he is. He knows what's going to happen. He's God. He's not here to beg people to be around him. He says, do you want to leave as well? Now, while the meaning of eat my flesh and drink my blood can be challenging to us, you and I can't really feel how offensive it is because we don't have those Jewish sensibilities of the first century. We don't have them. It's hard to feel how when Jesus said that, how offensive and harsh it was to them. But there are plenty of other things that Jesus says, plenty of other hard sayings that he has that offend us and our sensibilities. And so that we can feel what, it, what those first century Jews felt when he was saying that to them. I want to read to you three really quick other texts where Jesus says hard things that I think offend our sensibilities. That offend the things we hold most dear. Let me give you three really quickly. Don't turn there. I want you to read these and listen. This is Jesus speaking. This is him quoted. The first one's on family. Listen to what our king says. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew, the same truth in a different way, 1037 says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We as a people, we prize family. It's a good thing. God gave you 
and gave us families. He designed what they should be. But here's what Jesus is saying. If it comes down, if it comes down to you honoring and loving your family, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, or honoring and loving him, he says, you pick me or you are not worthy of me and you cannot be my disciple. He offends our sensibilities. Let's look at sexuality, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said, Jesus speaking, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. As a society, we prize sexual expression to a fault. But God gave sexual desires in the garden. It's a good thing. Back in the garden before sin, there were sexual desires. They're a good thing. And yet God says, Jesus says to us, when it comes down to you expressing your sexuality in thought or in deed with someone who you're not married to, or honoring and loving him, he says, you pick me or be liable to be thrown into hell. Jesus offends our sensibilities. Last one, our lives. Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. God's given you your life. Life is a good thing. God's given you the ability to have dreams for your future and plan for what you'd like it to be. But Jesus says if it comes down to you having your dreams and your plans for your life or having his dreams and his plans for your life, you pick him or you cannot follow after him or you cannot be his disciple. Jesus says really hard things. And my question to you is that the Jesus you know? Like, is this the Jesus you love? Is this what Jesus sounds like to you? Or does this Jesus really, if you were honest, sounds like someone you don't know? Like maybe this Jesus is some alter ego of the real Jesus because this sounds foreign to me. If this is not what Jesus sounds like and this sounds like someone you don't know, and there's probably a good chance the Jesus you love looks more like you than the Jesus who's reigning in heaven right now. If this Jesus sounds foreign to you, if he sounds like a different person to you, then you're probably following a Jesus who looks a lot like you and not like the Jesus who reigns in heaven. If Jesus never challenges you, if, Jesus, if he never tells you you're wrong, if he never calls you out on the things contrary in your life and in your heart to what he wants from you and his word, then you are not hearing from Jesus. Because Jesus says very hard things. And it's in those moments. It's when you hear those, what Jesus just said about family or sexuality or your possessions or anything else. It's in those moments where Jesus challenges us where you get to see, am I following Jesus for Jesus or what he gives? Because the crowds in John 6 were great with Jesus so long as he gave them bread. 
And it's so easy for you and for me to follow Jesus so long as he gives me the relationships I want, so long as my marriage is happy, so long as my bank account is full, so long as I have the morality and the culture that I want, so long as I have the things that I'm really after. If he gives me that, then praise be his name. We don't like the crowds with their bellies are full in 614. They say, this is indeed a prophet who's come into the world. We can sing songs to Jesus when he gives us what we want. We'll be faithful on Sundays when you give me what I want. But we're so much like the crowds where as soon as he says no, as soon as you start following Jesus and life gets harder, As soon as he doesn't give you what you want, as soon as he says you're 100% wrong in what you think and what you value, we turn to the crowds. All of a sudden, this Jesus who we were in awe of, this Jesus who we sang songs to, is this Jesus we're like the crowds who say, this is a hard saying. That word hard means harsh, offensive. It's a harsh thing Jesus is saying. Who can listen to this? How can people listen to this sort of Bible, this sort of Jesus, that sort of preaching? Who can listen to that? It's offensive to me. Because Jesus doesn't give us what he wants. And you have to know this happens to every person who follows Jesus. Every single person who follows Jesus will at one point or another be offended by him. Eventually, he's going to turn your life upside down through circumstances he sends or something he says, and he's going to say, you have to value me above all. That's what Jesus is like. He's done this to me so many times in my life, and he continues to do it to me to this day. I remember when I first started ministry about six years ago, I had all these dreams about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be used by God. And I remember during that time, I read this this story of the rich young ruler and Jesus. And the rich young ruler is this rich young ruler guy. And he was really faithful to follow all that God had told him. He was was obedient to God's word. He had a lot of resources. He looked like a guy who'd be really influential in God's kingdom. But then Jesus says, that's great. But I need you to let go of your tight grip on your possessions. I know you have a lot of them. Open your hand and put everything on the table. And it says the rich young ruler could not bring himself to let go of his wealth. He couldn't let Jesus decide how to use it. And so the rich young ruler walks away and Jesus lets him. Jesus doesn't beg him. Jesus doesn't run after him. He just lets him go. And as I read that text, I remember this so vividly. As I read that text, I think the spirit of God brought to my mind a question of, Tyler, would you still do ministry if no one ever knew who you were? The question to me was, will you follow me into obscurity? The challenge to me was, would you still preach the Bible? Would you still pastor people? Would you still work to see the lost come to Christ if no one ever remembered your name? And when that hit me and my conscience, when it hit me, I remember the first thing was frustration. But God, I want to be used by you. Why not? And underneath that was fear because I knew I loved and I wanted, and a part of me wanted ministry success more than I wanted Jesus himself. And he was challenging me. He was saying, what if I never give it to you? Will I be enough? 
he wouldn't have it then, and he for sure doesn't have it now with me. This is why, as a church, as a church, our goal, our goal is not that you would walk away every Sunday affirmed and and encouraged in all that you do. You have to know that. We get this feedback sometimes. It's like sometimes it's too convicting and too challenging. Our goal is not that you'd walk away encouraged and affirmed every Sunday. And our goal is not to be critical and mean-spirited and have you walk out sad every Sunday either. Here's what our goal is. It's really simple. I want to take you, we want to take you, point you to Jesus and say, here's what he's like. Here's who he is. And we want to let him and his word give you what you need. And so sometimes, sometimes it's going to mean when you interact with Jesus and his word, you're going to walk away with encouragement and hope and affirmation and acceptance from him that you've never known anywhere else. You're going to walk out and be in awe of this Jesus and how he encourages you and loves you and gives you hope in all circumstances. And sometimes you're going to walk out sorrowful over your sin, convicted that you don't want to give it up, and asking the question, can I really believe in this Jesus? He produces both. He produces both. And sometimes the king, he speaks with this unparalleled authority and says, I'm not having it. It has to be me, not the things that I give to you. It's, this reality reminds me of this famous scene in the children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the scene, I want to read you it's an excerpt of it because it captures it so perfectly. There are these beavers, they're describing to these children who just got into the magical world of Narnia, they're describing to them what Aslan is like. Maybe you've heard this before, but if you haven't, just... Listen to this excerpt. They're describing what Aslan, this Christ figure in the story, is like, and it captures this so well. This is Mr. Beaver speaking. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel, feel rather nervous about meeting a lion That you will, dearie, and and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus isn't safe. If you want a leader who's going to give you a couple of pithy sayings, bless all your plans, and stay out of your life, you're in for a rude awakening when it comes to Jesus. He will not stop till he has every nook and cranny of your heart and your life. He will not stop. And you can trust him because he's good, because he's the king, because he loves you more than anyone else. That's why you can hear his heart saying, because he actually loves you. He went through death and hell to have you. He's the king, and he's good. And so when the king speaks tough truths to you, when the king sends tough circumstances to you, how do you respond in faith? We're almost done. Let's look at how Peter shows us how to respond in faith. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, 
and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's probably struggling like everyone else in that moment. He's probably wondering, I can't believe Jesus just said that, but I really believe the Holy Spirit brought this to his mind. That the one thing that came to his mind was, remember who's talking to you. Remember who's talking to you. This isn't some random person who has some hard saying for you. This is the Holy One of God. He remembers, this is the Holy One of God. He alone has eternal life. He remembers the promises of every other path in this life, every other relationship in this life. He remembers, where else are we going to go? Every other person, every other relationship, every other path is going to promise you eternal life, but you're still going to die, and it can't save you from that. He remembers that though every other path is going to promise these great things, they can't fulfill them, they can't guarantee them. He remembers this Jesus, his words prove prove true, and his words lead us to eternal life. He remembers who Jesus is, and so that's what you and I have to do. When you are offended by our king, when he challenges the things you cherish most, remember who's talking to you. Remember that this king is God. And as God, he has a vantage point of authority and knowledge that no one else has. So he sees sees things differently than everybody else. He knows where life is. And you have to remember that this holy one of God, eventually he stopped with the metaphor. Eventually, he stopped with a metaphor of eat my flesh, drink my blood. John 6 is really getting us ready to treasure his work on the cross. When he says, I give my flesh, I give my blood for the life of the world, he's saying, I'm going to stop this metaphor and I'm going to give you my flesh and I'm going to give you my blood. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to have my flesh ripped apart, my blood splattered on the ground so you can have me. He's saying, this won't be a metaphor for long. I'm going to the cross for you. This is the Jesus we gather around. That's who he is. He's this king with authority that will place demands on your life that will cherish the things you hold most. This is this king with authority that demands everything from you. And it's the king with this love that already gave everything for you. So it's his love. It's his love to tell you hard things. It's his love to tell you hard things. Because he doesn't want you to ever be deceived and ever think that somehow his gifts are better than him. It's his love that calls you to his narrow way to instruct you in the ways of eternal life, in the ways of knowing him. Let's pray together. Father, we want to start and just say, you are God. Jesus, you are king. Spirit, you are truth. God, your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than ours. And God, we confess that to our feeble minds and our feeble feeble wisdom, sometimes it's easy to believe that somehow you've got it wrong that somehow you should apologize for the harsh things that you say. And God, we want you to turn us into people who understand your heart in these sayings. 
Oh God, turn us into a people who understand that this is what it means to be loved by you, that you won't settle for anything less than everything. That Jesus, you don't speak harsh words from a heart of maliciousness. You don't speak harsh words to us carelessly. You speak hard things to us so that we would remember Jesus is better than every gift he could give. God, would you make us that kind of people? Would we see you for who you are? And even when you say hard things, we would know and realize he's leading me to eternal life. He's getting me ready for bread that actually satisfies. He's saving me from being disappointed on all the other paths and all the other relationships and all the other promises that can't hold up. That he's saying, that you're saying to us, God, you don't want anyone else to have us. You want us to be loved by you and you alone. So God, make us that kind of people. Jesus, thank you for dying for people who struggle to trust your words. And God, give us faith to see Jesus as the Holy One of God who alone has the words of eternal life. We pray these things, we ask these things in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.